0: Tell me one thing, Burke. You're going out there to destroy them.
1: Not to study. Not to bring back. But to wipe them out. That's the plan. No, no, no.
2: This is the end of No, no, no. This is the end of the Movement. Talk to me,
0: Hudson. Uh, I got signals. I got readings in front and behind.
2: There's nothing back here. Look, I'm telling you, there's something moving in. It ain't us. It's UAM, ça, on n'est pas emmerdés par le voisin We're on Express Elevator to hell, going down Two, one, mark
1: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Sleezoids, the podcast where we go down the rabbit hole of 20th century genre fare from the most influential canon classics to the trashiest exploitation films we can get our hands on and invite you to tag along in helping us create a canon of sleaze. Each week is a double feature grindhouse style where we discuss two films loosely related by subject, genre, actor, filmmaker or franchise and at the end of each episode, along with our honorary sleezoids, which you can become by subscribing on Patreon.
3: So many episodes.
1: You got to do it. You got to do we it. D- We decide on all the official ratings and rankings for every film that we cover. Patreon subscribers also get an honor shout-out and two bonus episodes every single month, which we have been doing for uh, over two years now. I believe we are just about to hit 60 bonus episodes. So if you haven't made the jump yet, (laughs) definitely consider uh, doing that. And uh, speaking of which, we did have a bunch of new people make the jump this week. We had uh, Mark Thorne, uh, Russ Lauren, Uh, Quinn Dobbins, Rodrigo Santana, uh, And, uh, I think last but not least here, sometimes I pray for God to take away my ability to read. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, well, Well, thank you
3: guys very much. And, uh, I don't even know what to say about the last one, but thank you very much.
1: I I, I feel you, man. I feel you. Um, Yeah, learning, reading. Thanks, all you guys. Hope you guys are enjoying those bonus episodes. We also had some people uh, jump up to the $10 tier this month, which, just so you guys know, means we're going to be doing some uh, monthly uh, watch together uh, movie club uh, things this month. So. Uh, we're doing one at the end of this month i think on april 25th so if you want to join in on that uh, all you got to do is just bump up the tier
3: have you decided um, on the movie by the way just curious
1: well i'm i i'm i'm, I'm thinking about doing extra from oh, okay. uh, 1982 the like r rated et
3: yeah <laughs> hell
1: yeah i've had that on my list for uh, a while so yeah i wa- i honestly just really want to watch it so even if you know it's only the the few of us who are already signed up i think we're going to have a fun time oh yeah um But that's the uh, Patreon plug. The other plug, as always, is uh, iTunes or Apple Podcasts. If you guys are listening over on Apple Podcasts, which I I see the stats, I know a lot of you are, uh, scroll down to the bottom and give us a good old rating and review down there. It helps us climb the ranks over at iTunes and find new listeners that way. We we appreciate that as well. Uh, But those are your plugs for the week. Uh, I am your host, Josh Lewis, and joining me, as always, is my co-host... Jamie Miller. Welcome back, guys. (laughs) As you can probably hear, we are still in the quarantine zone uh, indefinitely at the moment, uh, not recording locally. So the rhythm of the show has been off for probably the last month or so. You probably noticed just due to online remote recording latency and such. Uh, And uh, (laughs) basically until you hear otherwise, that's what's up. Yeah, uh, really. But we're still here. We're still having a great time. Uh, podcasters are all beautiful and all heroes working through this That's difficult right. time. That's right. Um, Essential. We we are here delivering that sweet, sweet content everyone needs in these trying times. <laughs> the uh, troops, if you will. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. The online troops. Um Two weeks ago, I think, would have been the last time you guys would have heard from us, and uh, we would have had special guest Minovsky article, a.k.a. Casey on, um, to talk about a heavy hitter, Toby Hooper's The Texas Chainsaw Massacre from 1974. Oh, yeah. Uh, we had a lot of fun uh, talking about that one, and actually, speaking of which, we had uh, – uh, every once in a while we have the pat- the patrons uh, uh, comment on the episodes and sometimes we read them out on the show. And someone actually answered your question, Jamie, when you asked um, oh. on that episode how they like really cut um, Sally for real during the blood-sucking scene.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, and so what happened, uh, according to our patron Aaron Kaufman, so thanks to him for this, is uh, he said that there was tape that uh over the blade so that they weren't really cutting her and then there was a small tube that was supposed to deliver the fake blood sticking out on the other side of the knife um they used the exact same prop when they cut the hitchhiker's hand but the issue was in the small room that was over 100 degrees in texas the fake blood kept getting clotted uh in (laughs) the tube and after an hour of trying to get the shot but the blood kept clotting Uh, The actor playing Leatherface literally just said, fuck it, took the tape off, and they really cut her finger and had Grandpa suck it. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my God. The
3: Leatherface guy is kind of insane then, like for real.
1: Yeah. Uh, So (laughs) if you want to hear us talk about more about Texas Chainsaw, that was last week's episode. Uh, We paired it with the... uh, uh, food comedy japanese film tampopo uh, working class food production kind of being the loose connection between those two films yeah. one a little grosser and more nihilistic Dude, and involving he took, he took cannibalism. his character a little too seriously my lord <laughs> a little bit my God. well i'm I, I i'm hoping they asked her for permission uh, In, yeah. <laughs> but 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 if but if her fear was 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 terrible you see it on screen
3: also the guy uh, playing the grandpa just sucking on that finger Good Lord. Oh, he went for it. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> and uh, last week, for patrons uh, over at Slezoids or patreon.com slash Sleezoids podcast, uh, we did a Toby Hooper B side episode where we talked about Eaten yeah. Alive from 1976, his very uh, weirdly surrealist, artificial looking. Uh, man-eating alligator film Which yeah. was uh, insane And sort of like Toby Hooper Trying to like merge Psycho and Texas Chainsaw Massacre Together uh, And <laughs> putting a, an alligator in it And then also The Fun House Which was sort of a bit more of a traditional slasher From 1981 But Toby Hooper still gets to do some cool stuff in, uh, yeah. With some of the uh, carnival imagery
3: Turns it a bit into a, Like a creature feature as well A little bit
1: Exactly Um, But yeah, so if you want that episode again, uh, patreon.com slash podcast. That was last week's bonus episode.
3: Oh, yeah. Uh,
1: But this week, we have two very special guests on this week. We don't usually have two guests, but we like these guys a lot. We like their show, and they actually had us on their show recently. Some of you guys might have uh, heard us over there uh, talking about I Am Legend, but uh, they are the boys from Pop... Podside Picnic, the science fiction podcast, which has a little bit of crossover, obviously, with our show sometimes. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, they are Connor and Pete. How are you guys doing today? Hey, uh, man. Uh, thanks for having us.
2: I am doing, you know, about as splendid as one can do in quarantine, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I got to say, as as somebody who is a bit of a
0: recluse anyway, it's uh, it's like I've been training my whole life for this moment.
1: <laughs> <Hey>. exactly <laughs> i I've I've, I've I've kind of felt like I've regressed back to like my college days where like you know i didn't i didn't I ate nothing but like ramen and like played video games for most of the day yeah so I feel like that was like you know that was the early training round I'm uniquely prepared but you know i think I think I think for me i it's it has to have been at least a month maybe over a month now and leaving the apartment maybe once a week for food. so we are getting a little cabin fevery sometimes. Yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. But you know what? This show uh, and all the research we end up doing for it uh, helps me get through some of that. I've I've spent the last couple of days doing nothing but watching movies and and reading up on their production history. Yeah, so um, you're doing
3: like four movies a day or something like that. I'm doing
1: like four <laughs> movies a day right now. Impressive. It's pretty. I-
0: I had a question for you guys about that. I know this isn't the standard format, but i'm I'm enthusiastic and I go weird places. One of the oh, things yeah. that connor Connor and I have really noticed that, like our discord chat with our fans is the single most healthy communication outlet we have. Like Twitter <laughs> sucks ass
1: right now. And I'm certainly not oh, calling yeah. my mom, but that discord is great, yeah. Yeah, no, we have we have uh, a similar a similar vibe going on. here. A lot of patrons are are inside and all just watching stuff. A lot of the time they're just recommending stuff for us to watch or yeah. telling us what they're watching. That's my favorite and it's, part. It,
3: my watch list has grown exponentially.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, y- yesterday we were talking about the uh, Nick Pizzolato Batman pitch all day. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is basically he was like, "What if I did True Detective season one starring Ben Affleck?" Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh man! I, I mean,
2: that would probably be terrible. <laughs> given that he's only ever
1: written like one good thing, which is True Detective season one, but I would definitely watch it. <laughs> oh yeah, no. it would be a it would be a hell of a lot of fun. Um, but as this show goes, we have the guests bring on the two movies. So, uh, whichever, however, you guys ended up picking these films, uh, which two films uh, did you guys pick, and why did you pair them together? Man, why don't you I, I, go? Ahead. Oh, sorry, Pete. Go ahead, man. I was just going to I was going to do the meta here.
0: Why don't you lead with yours and I'll do the follow up and talk about the connection?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I went with Aliens, which is one of my favorite movies. Um I'm always down to talk about it. Like <laughs> I can't talk about that movie enough. I think that you know, speaking as someone who spends a lot of time thinking about how stories work for my own purposes as a fiction writer, um, that that's like the James Cameron masterclass and how to put together like a genre story and that sort of in a tight traditional movie format. Um, also like I could go on and on about how it influences video games. We, we might get there too. Sure. Um, I'm down. I, I will say, I think Pete, Pete might have a different theory about this. Cause like, it's been a while since we settled on these, but to me, the connection between aliens and delicatessen, which Pete is going to discuss more in detail, what I think is interesting is their sort of. Two very different, very precise and well thought out models for how capitalism might look, uh, how market economies might function in sort of different versions of a grim, dark future. Um,
1: And I think both go into a lot of granular detail on that. So,
2: yeah. I hate it when you're smarter
1: than me. (laughs) I was surprised watching Delicatessen at how sort of, we'll get into it, especially in the specifics when we talk about it, but like, how it actually like tracks almost like the policies that they've set up for their society. I mean, obviously it's more of like this, this grungy, like a small apartment complex has decided on it, but like they go into detail about like at which age people become useless and like they can start <laughs> killing them and stuff. And like, it's just very specific, uh, sort of like arranging of society. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I totally see that. Uh, but Pete. Sure. Uh, well, well,
0: I picked delicatessen and it's a, a it's kind of an open question as to why because when I picked it at the time I did it sort of impulsively I'm like well this is a fun film it as compared to sort of the grim corporateness of aliens which I love very much it's it's like it's almost a light-hearted slapstick apocalypse movie and like that that's the thing we need right now. But there is an interesting connection between the two films and it occurred to me later and that is the the director of of Delicatessen is Jean-Pierre Junet and he directed Alien Resurrection. So
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, everyone's so I, favorite
0: I, alien
1: film. Yeah. Oh, oh my god. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, I mean, like, I, I have a theory on that, which is uh, Sigourney Weaver wanted to have more creative control. So they're like, well, we'll get some foreigner that you can bully. And it was sort of the <laughs> argument between the two of them that created this abomination.
1: <laughs> yeah, I haven't I, seen it in, in in long enough to to say for sure. But I do remember watching it and being like, what is going on? Like, Sigourney Weaver clone? And like, I don't know, man.
3: Yeah, I haven't even I haven't seen it at all. But uh, actually, tonight I think I'm gonna start watching uh, the the next two. So I think I'm gonna watch Cubed. Alien Cubed tonight, <laughs> and uh, and I'm gonna watch uh, Resurrection. I think the next day. So I'm excited.
1: <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, I think we're gonna jump right into it here. We we usually uh, start off with the the bigger of the two films, and it also tracks chronologically as well. So we are gonna start here with Aliens. All right. We are talking Aliens, the 1986 American science fiction action film written and directed by James Cameron and obviously starring Sigourney Weaver, uh, Weaver, reprising her role as Ripley from the first Alien film, which uh, you guys caught us a little off guard. Because uh, we actually <laughs> haven't done the original Alien yet on yeah, the show. I ended, up, I ended
3: up rewatching it just for kind of context. I had, I had, on I had to watch
1: it too because a lot of the time, if we're doing a sequel, sometimes I'll just go back and I'll just listen to our episode on the first film to like kind of recall, you know, like our, our feelings on that. And I couldn't do that because we haven't done an episode on Alien yet. So maybe I mean I'm sure everyone has seen both of these movies, especially if you're listening uh, to our show or your yeah, guys's show. These are two of the popular. biggest science fiction um, uh, one science fiction horror one science fiction action hybrid um but two of the biggest sort of like genre cross-bending films probably oh, of all time we are the two podcasts that matter let's be clear oh yeah i mean no, come, come on, on. <laughs> i stand by I,
2: that and the fact that you guys said you hadn't done alien i, I have two things to say to that one shame on you absolutely <laughs> no, we understand uh, absolutely i want to get that across yeah and then and no, number two I will say, number two, though, to ca- contradict what I just said, is like one of the really awesome things about Alien and Aliens is they are very different from one another and it's one of the very few times I think in film history or the history of any narrative medium where the sequels are wildly different and both incredibly good
1: and canonical like in in, in really radically different ways as you pointed out they're two different genres well that was one thing Jamie and I were talking about actually off podcast before we got started here was um, the idea that like franchises really like before they became like here's the franchise look let's hire a guy that we can bully into making just doing another version of the same thing like, they would usually just like pick a filmmaker and we're like, well, he has sort of like his own distinctive thing. What if we just like let him go loose with like this franchise? And like, I, we were thinking about that because we did uh, Mission Impossible not that long ago, where like the original Mission Impossible fits more snugly into Brian De Palma's filmography as like this weird, sort of suspenseful Hitchcock riff. Uh, than it does like the rest of the franchise. And same with John Woo's Mission Impossible, which is more of a John Woo movie than it is a Mission Impossible movie. And same thing here. Like Alien is honestly more of like what Ridley Scott does when he's doing his horror stuff uh, and his sort of like a little bit maybe pretentious philosophizing sometimes. And Aliens is definitely way more of a James Cameron film and fits more into his sort of Terminator and Terminator 2 sort of like really hardware focused uh, science fiction action yeah but speaking briefly on um alien before we jump into aliens just because like it's probably good to have some some context here like alien in my opinion is just one of the best uh probably you know it, one of the best horror films of all time yeah, it's agree. just yeah. really beautifully textured like a brute force horror movie obviously a lot of it based on the uh, amazing um, art and design work of, uh, H.R. Giger who weaponizes sort of like biomechanics and the idea of sort of like flesh and machine, uh, in this locked in, like this strange sort of, uh, almost sexual, uh, transformation and evolution into organic life. Um, and that film is just absolutely amazing. It's a film where like a literal robot character, Talks like basically reviews the own film for you when he calls it a perfect organism, structural (laughs) perfection only matched by hostility. Uh-huh. Um, unclouded <laughs> by conscious remorse or delusions of morality. And I think honestly, it's just one of the scariest designed, one of the leanest, most grisly horror films of the 70s. And a huge part of that that James Cameron, I think, gets is how tangible that film is, the analog design of the ship, the way the camera glides through it. Feels like you can kind of like reach out and touch it, which makes like all the elements like the face hugging and the chest bursting and oh, yeah. sort of like the 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 rape imagery like that much scarier everything is um, just and,
3: soaking wet in both of these movies it's just dripping nah, it's with <laughs> CGI
1: goo oh yeah this is back when when these movies were like matte work and miniature work and it really makes you miss the the design of that because like oh yeah it looks so strong it's so tactile it's so physical like even the fact that it it, it is a painting somehow it still looks more real than when you see people on a green screen with a cgi background
3: right um like, and we I, just- I could be Sorry, I was. Uh, we were discussing go, no, go uh, underwater uh, just on our bonus transmission, and we were saying just like once the creature comes in, it almost starts to ruin the mood a little bit, just because they had such a weighted aesthetic before, and with this one, because everything is you know just practical and real,
1: th- you just feel the weight constantly throughout these two movies. Well, yeah, it, ma- it makes the physical presence of the alien more more dangerous. It makes yeah. it feel like at any minute there is going to be crushed skull or a hole blown through someone um, and I, I mean in James Cameron film he comes up with more ways for bodily carnage because if there's anything to be said about Alien it's that it was actually pretty cheaply made I not want to say it was like nine or ten million dollars they had to film that so like you'll notice that there, there's not a lot of the alien like he's kind of like and, and it's used really effectively where he's like kind of hiding in the shadows and then suddenly he's lit up by like a spark and he's like freaking out I mean when, when Dallas uh, is in the vents And then it lights up and he's suddenly there. Like that's one of those rare jump scares that like still hits me, even though I've seen the movie like six times. Yeah. Um, So it really works for that film. And one thing that uh, um, Dan O'Bannon and uh, Walter Hill, who did kind of like a uncredited uh, major rewrite on, on alien that they seem to, uh, a lot of people seem to forget about because I guess Walter Hill before Ridley Scott was supposed to make that film at a certain point. Oh. And they did say the final shooting script was Walter Hill's uh, rewrite of Dan O'Bannon's script. But uh, it's one of the earliest depictions, I think. I mean, I could be wrong. I'm al- I, I'm always wary of saying this because, like, there's always a patron who's like, well, actually, it was the 1974 <laughs> film. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, right.
3: That 500 people have seen
1: Yeah, <laughs> not, uh, not, not, not to, uh, you know, patrons are all, are all great. Sometimes it's not even Patriot. Sometimes it's the cheap, free listeners. I'll say it's them just to not bully anybody. Um, oh, uh, at the
0: $15 <laughs> tier at, at Podside, you're allowed to be Cliff Claven from Cheers.
1: <laughs> Amazing. Uh, but but this is one of the early depictions in, in Alien of um, blue-collar space workers and, like, basically, like, the construction dudes of sci-fi, like, arguing about, like, contract stipulations and like bonuses and like man hours and, and, and things like that. And that uh, I found really effective in kind of like grounding the story in like these real people that even though they're still sort of like archetypes, you do get a sense that these there is a camaraderie of like um, sort of like workplace companions and people who, you know, when they're all like eating around the table, just like having jokes with each other and stuff. And then someone has an alien burst out of their fucking chest. You like think, the severity uh, hits home that this should be like you just in the break room with your buddies. You think that's,
3: <laughs> what, that's what kind of steers you towards a less personal feel when it comes to the sequel just because like the i don't get me wrong love the military guys and all that but it does cause you to like be able to uh grab onto them a little less just because i don't know it's not it's not a, a bunch of
1: characters i can personally relate to more so than yeah like, i the mean I, 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 guys. I guess we should say that up front that jamie and i are a little we are on alien get into some of the specifics of that but I have to say before I say that because you know there will be some parts where I sound a little bit more negative than I am on alien but that is literally like only because this is still an insanely accomplished film that oh, like yeah. James James Cameron overall like this is what you know uh even though it's very different than a sequel and a lot of my complaints are going to be I honestly personally think some of them might be just unfair and if this wasn't a sequel to my favorite horror film of all time I wouldn't even have them yeah because it is just a, an amazing action film that's kind of how uh, I feel although but,
3: I, I don't want to premise this by saying like I absolutely still love the sequel it's not like I'm gonna be shitting on it in any way shape or form it's just no uh, can't- Cameron was an
1: unparalleled filmmaker of action at this point in his career. I just,
3: I just prefer a little bit of that more moody horror alien, but I mean, this one is so close to a masterpiece for me still (laughs) that, I
2: mean, it doesn't really matter. (laughs) Gun to my head. I would say alien is a better movie and aliens is more the one that I prefer. And I want to go back to something you were saying before about like relatability. That's just a taste thing, but like relatability, um, I feel differently about the relatability just because one thing the movies have very strongly in common is they're they're realistic depictions to me of two very different but equally expendable groups um, to this like capitalist machinery that gets fleshed out in, you know, literally horrifying detail for us. And I think that's like one of the things that binds the movies together really nicely, actually
3: right cuz you do yeah, have well, that, I, I, like financier uh character that's definitely the representation of that system and he is just a total piece of shit making everybody or at least he views them as totally expendable so for sure yeah well
1: and and i mean there's a, there's actually like a dramatic point in 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 alien where like Sigourney Weaver like goes to the mother computer and, like, she's wondering, like, what the hell's going on? Like, why is our, cy- our freaking cyborg dude acting all fucking weird? And she goes to the c- computer, and it literally just says, uh, primary mission, like, secure the organism for testing. Right. Uh, crew is expendable. And it's not really developed, like, the reason necessarily why. I mean, you assume that they... They want it for um, experimenting with, you know, things like biological weaponry and stuff like that. And then James Cameron, like, makes that very explicit in his film where, like, literally the guy admits that the whole reason for this trip is literally to uh, impregnate, like, uh, Sigourney Weaver, basically, and bring her back so that they have an or- a trapped organism and they can maybe put it to sleep yeah. and control it from there. What I like and about... Uh... that the military guys are all the expendable workers in this case.
3: Right. What I also like about the the difference that they do with the first one and this one, uh, in the first one, it's revealed that, like, the, uh, the, the android that's been with them the whole time, and it actually is kind of a... They use it as a twist in a way because you don't know that he's an android until the end and that he's been setting them up for the failure the whole time. And I like that in this one, they kind of do a little switch where they're like, no, this time we're going to make the human beings completely the pieces of shit, and we're going to have the android be more of, like, a kind of a, a a minor hero character. And I thought that was just like a, a nice interesting twist to do in the sequel. Well, yeah,
1: skipping, skipping to that, that part, just like very briefly. Uh, that's one thing I have written in my notes that I think is one of the best jokes in James Cameron's screenplay, (laughs) which is again, like obviously Ripley because of her experience, um, with, uh, Ash in, in, in alien as like this sort of like dispassionate, um, Android who, um, basically uses their crew as you know like a biological experiment and gets them all killed um sort of like in this passive way and again um he delivers that great monologue where he's just like this fucking uh head that's like bleeding white goo uh and you know talking about you know how he has sympathy for their experience but like he can't really feel anything about them he was like i just kind of wanted i i admire the purity of this alien organism more than i like care about you um right. but the the android bishop in this played by henrik um shit La- lance lanson i can't remember lance hendrickson oh lance hendrickson i got it <laughs> flipped
3: um
1: um but the fact that the android in this is like because the other one turned out to be like this evil asshole, <laughs> and in this one he actually turns out to be like a like a really well programmed like good guy. Yeah. Justin and, and Ripley realizes that just in time for the android to get ripped in half. <laughs> by <the> puppy, um, <laughs> and what a shot alien. too!
3: Unbelievably, yeah. just visceral. Like you see the just, whole tear in half.
1: Just a really perverse joke, joke where she finally cares about him and sees like maybe even a little bit of humanity in him just in time for him to get completely obliterated on screen and then they
3: add like all the the tubes and it's covered in the white blood so it almost looks like intestines too still regardless that's
1: that's one thing I think Cameron gets perfectly about this film and it's because as we, we did an episode on the Terminator and something that's really special about Cameron especially in this time period of his career is that he was very good at like sort of like these mechanical constructions um, and it it worked really well in his genre pieces because you know the Terminator um, a lot of the time is about a it's a very Heightened depiction of like sort of like corporate automation. I mean, literally, he has a sequence like End the Terminator, where there's uh, they're in a factory run by all these automated machines. Um, Mm -hmm. And what if those machines kind of like took over? What if these these systems and technology that we're producing to like, you know, help us out and, you know, sort of reduce imperfections in the world actually end up realizing that people are the imperfections? And uh, Cameron just very vividly and economically economically um, gets sort of like the hardware quality and focusing on the tangible and focusing on sort of like steel and flesh like the all the body uh imagery stuff of like arnold when he starts like ripping apart is some of the most just awesome um sort of like physical makeup work of flesh and machine so he actually makes a lot of sense take over alien which obviously hr geekers designs were very much based on the same idea of um flesh and 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 machine and sort of like an organism that feels like one step in each
3: even like i love the look of the caves that it's like this mix between you can't tell if it's almost like a breathing body on its own but or if it's a spaceship like i love that (laughs) cross between them they it's such a The skin, it's it's very representation of like what the the skin of the alien looks like where it it, it does truly look like a half machine. Sometimes half they
1: literally bug. use it as camouflage.
0: Right, right. <laughs> well, let's let's go to uh, you went to Terminator for a second, and there's sort of an interesting parallel to be drawn between Aliens and Aliens and Terminator and Terminator two, and that is the sequel movie uh, is shifts genre a little. And when you're trying to cross compare them, it's a little like comparing a screwdriver and an X-Acto knife. Like they serve <laughs> such different purposes, the two different yeah. sequels, that's yeah. very hard to compare them in a useful way. And I those are the only two examples I can think of. With yeah. sequels, unless you're talking about, like, a sequel that's a piece of shit after a good movie. That happens.
3: Yeah, I think that's what uh Josh and I are also saying when we're, like, comparing the first one to the second one. And it's that uh, when I was watching this this Aliens again, um, I was thinking the whole time, if I just came into this completely blank, I wasn't thinking about the first movie at all, I would easily like masterpiece five star this thing without a doubt i think and i feel a little guilty about that because i just i should be able to still see it on its you know just separate legs but it's uh i st- I, don't, I don't know it's i think it's more of just a personal taste thing i just prefer well, the, yeah. well, the and, moody
1: alien you know and, and it's funny you bring that up too because i'm i'm actually also in i mean i i this is a I don't know what the common opinion out there is anymore because it shifts all the time. Yeah. But I'm also in the camp that I, I like Terminator quite a bit more than I like Terminator 2, actually, for pretty much the same reasons. Well, yeah. the, have you noticed the laws of the
0: universe are different? Like, like take a look at Alien versus Aliens. Imagine Sigourney Weaver as the badass who th- <laughs> drops 30 aliens in the first movie. <laughs> yeah. The first yeah, the, movie would last yeah. about two minutes.
3: Yeah, because at one point oh, yeah. in the first movie, like in the last 15 minutes, she's literally just staring at one that's that's kind of like it knocked out a little bit. And, and there's so much fear in just that one across the room, let alone 30 just piling at them, you know?
1: Yeah, well, I mean – and and, and that's, that's one thing I think that – like I think it works for what Cameron's doing here, but it, it, oh, it does – me- sort of reduce some of the scariness of the alien, the fact that they're so easily disposable this time around. And maybe not easily, maybe that's not the right word, but like there is like famously see I, I don't a lot think of that them this, die <laughs> i i don't think that this is true but like famously people talk about how uh they, there's this joke that goes around that in like the studio uh, exec room that james cameron went over to the the board and they had alien written out and he added an s and then put the dollar sign through the s <laughs> <or whatever. laughs> I, I want that
3: to be true so badly. Uh, and,
1: and, and, and it, 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 <laughs> so badly
3: that's amazing
1: uh, and and it it is true anyway that Fox uh, wanted to greenlight a sequel basically immediately in 1979, and it actually took them a little while to get this project. That together. was shocking too to um, see that
3: it came like seven years later or something.
1: Well, yeah, and they, they, it was just because of like execs changing hands. Like it was it was literally just bureaucratic shit. Like they wanted gotcha. to make one like the second it premiered because it was such a <laughs> smash critical yeah, hit. Not and surprised. Made money and they they literally pitched it as. Uh, we want Alien, but Southern Comfort slash Magnificent Seven was what they told Cameron that they wow. wanted, and and and, <laughs> That's and, and 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 he was making Terminator at the time, and because they and they read the script for Terminator and they liked it and they said this guy I think seems like he could make the kind of movie that we're looking for, and they told him that if Terminator was a hit. That uh, they that it, the job was his, and he was basically rewriting the screenplay while making Terminator. I think they said he wrote 90 pages while shooting Terminator, which is just insane.
2: That is um, nuts. Nice.
1: And, and, and he actually started envisioning certain special effects stuff that he was doing in Terminator as like dry run stuff for when he would eventually get to do Aliens. Um, which, which, which makes a lot of spent sense when you think about sort of like his focus here on sort of like loading docks and the mechs and kind of like his, his overall just like hardware tech fetish that oh, he, he has. Loves he loves it. the sound of like cocking guns and machinery and motion. I mean, we're talking about a guy who literally was, uh, making a romance melodrama that is obviously more in love with the cold machinery of the ship than it is with like the people on it.
3: Yeah, I mean, didn't Uh, this guy go into, like, the bottom of Mariana's Trench or some crazy shit like that? Yeah, like, this is it's just
1: very clearly his (laughs) interest in, like, construction and engineering. And so you can just tell that that's what he loves more than, like, even, I think, a lot of the characters that end up appearing uh, in his film. But he does also have a basic sense of story structure to, like, know how to put a, you know, a a basic uh, arc for people. In, in the story, but it's just he always comes to life so much more when there's like a big ass action scene about to come down. And actually, James Horner, who did the score for this movie basically and who did a lot of Cameron's work after basically said he never wanted to work with Cameron again because <laughs> he, he was still composing music two weeks before the premiere of this film. Because it was taking so long for him to get access to the finished film to compose to. And he said, Cameron, he didn't talk to me. All he would do was spend every moment of his post-production time in the sound design booth, making sure that every pew, every crunch, every steel thunk was just like the best it could possibly be. And it it did go (laughs) on, I think, to win the Oscar for sound design. But it's just like that is so clearly where James Cameron's head is when he makes a film is just like, the, the the texture and the technology and sort of like the effect stuff and this probably is james some of james cameron's most uh, uh, uh like effective effects work that he's ever done especially considering again this is actually one of his cheaper films he only made this for i think 18 million dollars which is still like wow. double what they made alien for but that still is not a lot of money for how goddamn good the action in this film looks
3: i can't believe I have it's a question. that cheap to be honest
1: I have a question
0: for everybody, if that's okay. If we could go around, I know this isn't my show. So what the hell am I doing? But uh, (laughs) go for it. uh, Imagine an extra sequel that we fit into the Aliens franchise. Like what? Who is the most insane choice to direct it? Like Ralph Bakshi's Aliens, Wes Anderson's Aliens. (laughs) Who would you put in? Oh, I don't know.
3: God. I don't know i'm trying to think of somebody that's you know what
1: i i mean if if we're allowed to go back to people too i would have fucking loved alien film
2: just sorry did you tell <laughs> Hell yes. oh, yeah that's a good choice yeah that would be uh, d- d-
1: just just because uh for another film that fits into this like really textured action movie context like there is no better film's uh, that fit in similarly than something like RoboCop or Total Recall. Um, you so, know in, he'd in throw in opinion, like you- a
3: ton of boobs into the alien universe, though.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I feel like he would have went taken uh, the, the violence and gore. Even an extra step because James Cameron oh, yeah. does some pretty cool stuff here with like some of the alien deaths. Like there's I mean, at a certain point I was kind of laughing because like it's so excessive. <laughs> like when they they put a shotgun barrel into the alien's mouth and blow the back of its head out. <laughs> yeah. Or when literally they they take one of the truck loaders and they literally run it over, and you can see like the you know that that pristine like alien helmet head just like crush, yeah, and and like, and like green like, acid blood just goes right
3: <laughs> And it just splatters too. It's a total splatter house like whole bodies are just exploding and shit it's it's absolutely insane
1: yeah so i i i really like that you know if he's gonna go bigger with it in a way that sort of like makes the aliens a little bit more disposable than they were in say the first film then at least when he does it it's very visually realized and accomplished in that way where like he really is crushing these goddamn like alien prosthetics that they've they've made and it really is like an impeccable work of like action artistry um in that way and even sometimes the sheer amount of the aliens also uh it does end up pulling like a scary shot like that shot when they're looking in uh sort of like the vents like between the two walls and they look down and all of a sudden the light shines briefly and you can see like eight aliens crawling up the wall like toward the camera yeah oh yeah like really really works for sure but i but i will say like overall um i definitely feel like this in in tone in comparison to alien is a little bit closer to like a rambo or like a starship troopers it's definitely oh, for sure. he had an idea of making like a sort of like vietnam war sort it's of a, satire inside of a space universe context which is which, a which a military is a adventure. really cool idea
3: Absolutely. yeah what do you think of uh, like one particular shot that I found effective, but then it led me to think about just the kind of the logistics of the whole thing, which was the little girl is in the the sewer part and there's this awesome shot of one of the aliens. And I think it's like a guy in a suit. So it looks very practical, very effective. And he comes out of the water and, you know, she screams and then it cuts. And then later we see her in the cave and she's, you know, all webbed up or whatever it is, all gooed up, whatever. And it to me, it was just a little odd because prior to that, we have seen it. We have seen, like, the whole cave thing. But we see someone get, like, stabbed or injected or whatever, and then they're brought to the cave, I guess. And just with this, it felt weird that the girl, like w- – they don't show it obviously because I don't think they could have physically showed it w- with it making any sense. But I find it just odd that the alien, like, kind of what coddled her and then brought her to the cave, didn't stab her or anything well, like that. Bro,
1: don't you know that this is a movie about motherhood? About motherhood yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which, which, which honestly, yeah, no, I, I don't really have an ex- explanation for you. I actually will say I didn't even pick up on that. I think it's just a plotting
3: like, thing. I get it. It's just it does kind of ruin a bit of the mystery and the atmosphere because it's just like, well, did the alien like hug her into the cave? I don't know. It's just very Well, very I mean,
1: strange. James Cameron, as a screenwriter, definitely is a guy who just likes to kind of, like, work in, in broad strokes, yeah. and he kind of, like, writes his way to the sequences he wants to get to. Absolutely. And he de- he definitely really liked the idea of, I mean, you could tell he was really self-satisfied with the idea of, like, alright, Ripley, what if she had motherly instincts? And what right. if the alien also had motherly instincts? I mean, I right. you can tell... <laughs>
2: I mean, I think you're being fair in criticizing that tendency in Cameron. I was going to say a while ago, like Jamie, my solution for you is someone who doesn't like this movie as much as you said she wanted to. I know this is a cheap, You know, this is a cheap, a cheap move. But like, <laughs> just to, to make yourself like it more, just just close your eyes for a second and compare this 35 year old action blockbuster to anything any action blockbuster this century, and I guarantee you'll like it more within 90 seconds. Oh, don't you? Yeah, dude.
3: dude,
2: I like that you brought
3: that up because I was going to bring it up when we were talking about the other directors, and uh, it's something that me and Josh talk about all the time. It's just, at least even in the sequels that aren't as well-liked, I guarantee you those things have at least way more personality than anything that's come out in the last, like, 10 years when it comes to big blockbuster franchise films. So, like... As much as people don't even like those, the third and fourth movie, they're probably more interesting to watch. Uh, just just because there's at least someone's personality, somebody's vision, and it just doesn't really happen anymore. Um, and 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 once again, don't get me wrong. This this movie's so close to a five. Once we get to the the rating round, that it's just it's stupid. And it, to and in any other universe, it would get there. Uh, it's just because the first movie exists. That's really all it is. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's that's, that's 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 my one um, hang up basically about about the film too. And maybe we will pivot towards the um, reductive rating around here. And and for me, this does get like probably the highest four that I can that I can I can give just yeah. because. And yeah, by the way, for you guys, this is just where we. Redu- remove all the words all the nuance give the film a number between sort of like one and five out of five um but also and, uh, shout
3: out a scene if you missed one or
2: anything like
1: yeah, that. yeah we also turn it into like closing statements or just sort of like last chance to get any scene or moment that really struck you that you wanted we didn't get a chance to hit yet uh but yeah for me this gets like the highest four i can possibly give and literally the like this is just again similar to uh terminator like cameron's sense of tactile design his sense of like sort of like mechanizing his own film um that is a lot of the time uh, about sort of like mechanical ideas like i mean i fucking love when he does i mean like he, he obviously uh i think he was a little salty about um whoever it was who rewrote his uh, Rambo first blood part two draft and basically turned it into one of the most jingoistic fetishistic war movies of all time. When he basically had like a Vietnam critique in the screenplay when he originally wrote that film. So aliens was his chance to like merge the Terminator with like the Vietnam stuff he wanted to put into Rambo. Um, So he has this idea of like the grunts, Going on a bug hunt, and what's that great line that Bill Paxton has, where he's like, "Oh, express elevator to hell, going down." Like, there's some <laughs> there's there's some good like military grunt stuff happening here as well. Oh, yeah. um, and uh, I really like when they first land, and he designed it as like a what if like a a higher sort of uh, military power found itself like uh, outgunned by something it just couldn't completely understand and being somewhere it just literally shouldn't be um and that was his idea for when they they land on the ship and they start seeing the first aliens but when they land and like the internals of the ship have been ripped apart so that it looks like it's like intestines like hanging down from the ship but it's all like the internal wiring of it and stuff like that and then the aliens are like sitting on the walls and you know there will be a shot with like some negative space in the wall in the background and then you'll just see the wall start fucking moving and you know that there's like an alien there and then he starts throwing in flamethrowers and shotguns and so like i can't not love a movie like that and specifically too because i actually really love starship troopers as well speaking of verhoven um and james cameron even said that uh his go-to while writing the film was the starship troopers book um so talk about like you know verhoeven would eventually literally adapt that book into a film um but uh james cameron was also inspired by that by that same same book and he actually had all of the cast read it he had them all go into sort of like grunt and military training because he wanted them all to have like a real sense of camaraderie by the time they came out of it after like a month of doing training together
0: well he managed um, so like, to
1: unite them against him, which was nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think he actually said that they they filmed the opening scene with them where they're all like hanging together. It was the last thing they ever filmed because he wanted them to have like a sense of camaraderie as like just actors working together. And he wanted that sort of natural feel of them having spent months in you know with each other and giving each other shit and stuff like that. So like as far as like a practically hardware-centric sci-fi action movie goes I, I really don't know that it, it it gets much better than this but because I love the original alien so much and I, I as someone who maybe is just maybe a little bit more horror centric than action centric, I definitely find myself leaning a little bit more towards what Ridley Scott was attempting in Alien, which he described as he was aiming for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre of science fiction, (laughs) which is what he described as what he was trying to achieve. And all those H.R. Giger like original designs. I think that that kind of story of like the horror of sort of like penetration and stuff like that is way more what his art was about rather than sort of like military, uh, you know, cocking the guns, getting the flamethrowers going as much as I love it. That was not where HR Giger was at. He was definitely like the sexual relationship between like these different organisms that create something new and maybe it's scary or maybe it's just you know the way of the future. You don't really know, um, and I definitely feel like you know James Cameron still gets a bit of that right, and then puts his usual sort of like uh, mechanical tech fetish stuff that 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 he loves to do. But I also like that. So anyway, that's where oh. I end up. I'm going on a bit long. I'll let someone else go. <laughs> I was just
0: going to say, Giger's work is uh, if you if you take a brilliant sculptor and you have him do something about. Puberty and sexual fears, while giving him a lot of heroin. <laughs> Aliens is what you get.
3: Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it like the strongest possible four out of five. I I could. Uh, two things I just wanted to mention because uh, we didn't mention them uh, was the design of the queen when she's finally revealed is truly horrifying. Just like this 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 giant black alien bug like looming over them, sleeping. And you see that, you know, the giant tube and the eggs just plopping out Pop one off. by one. Uh, it's, it's very, very effective. Um, A
1: uh, James and- Cameron personal design, by the way, just so you know.
3: Really? That's awesome. That's very awesome. Yeah.
1: It was, uh, it, that was, that was his main contribution, uh, overall to the design work because he was the one who came up in the screenplay with the idea of a mother alien and it was main, like obviously a lot of the design work they took from the original alien. So that like is his main primary unique design that came out of this film. So
3: wow. stands out for yeah, sure. Uh, very, very well done. And then of course I just wanted to, to close with mentioning the, uh, the amazing, uh, yellow robot suit that you know that James Cameron <laughs> when he thought of that or I don't know if he c- conceptualized it but you know when he was just uh filming that thing that he was very very excited I mean he's got you know he's got his uh mechanical fetish versus the the alien sci-fi horror all meshed into one so I mean that must have been oh, a, and, a day for and him the,
1: the hero shot of of her in it when she goes get away from her you
3: Bitch. Oh, the best best <laughs> delivery of "bitch" I think I've ever heard in a film, without a doubt. On, on that that delivery is so powerful; it's it's crazy. Uh, so yeah, so amazing amazing film. Uh, high can, four out of Can five. I date
0: myself for a second? Do it. Yeah, I I saw it in the theaters. People applauded.
3: Amazing. <laughs> I
1: actually so wrote sick. that I would kill to have been in a packed theater on opening weekend oh, yeah. for that shot because because as as much as I think like. The, the mommy stuff is like a, a little bit much on Cameron's part it's it's all worth it for oh, that yeah. moment because she fucking kills that line the shot is perfect the way that he set up the loader the exoskeleton loader like earlier in the film yeah, uh, it, it's all built directly to that moment and watching her just fuck up the giant mother alien. It's just good stuff.
3: And there's also like three finales in this movie, which
1: is incredible.
3: It just never lets <laughs> up. They're like, no, it's over. It's over. No, it's not. It's o-. like, it's,
1: I, it's amazing. I, I, I do think it was kind of funny that he, he I, I think partially as a joke, he did the the fake out, the alien made it on the ship moment again yeah. from the first alien
3: film. <laughs> Especially what's funny about it this time is that the the queen is such a big thing so it's yeah, like it's, like, it's not sneaky <laughs> yeah and then you see it just like hiding in the in the landing platform wing or something it's just like all right fair
1: enough i'm just here to see the fight at this point <laughs> <laughs> good stuff uh but for 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 you two guys what's the rating let's hear it i
2: mean for me this is a five, Oh yeah uh, easily that's oh, yeah. one of my favorite movies this is a top 10 movie for me i also
1: awesome
2: just briefly like i one of the points i wanted to get in is that you know, there, yeah, there is a lot of generic, arguable like flatness or expedience to some of this writing. But I do think that in the first act, when you're just meeting the Marines and he has to characterize them quickly, I think that's actually those are like master it's kind of a master stroke of kind of compressed storytelling and character development. And so, you know, everything yeah. in that. That scene when they wake up and you know the sergeant's going around with his cigar, like a day in the corps and day on the farm, like that's—I mean—that's just some of the best genre storytelling I've seen in any medium. So yeah, it's a five for me.
0: Uh, so yeah, I'll say five as well. Actually, if you uh, like if you look at if you look at Alien, it, it, there's an argument you can make. To you can boil it down to: don't trust your boss, don't trust your company. <laughs> Yeah, and this one you can argue it boils down to don't don't trust your military or don't trust your government. And I mean, I I think I think they're trying mm. to accomplish completely different things, and I think mm. they succeed on enough levels that I I feel like I have to give it up
1: for sure. Hell yeah! Well, I mean, I, that's just it is like I would literally not begrudge anyone who oh. feels that way. I, I aliens I'm so is close. actually a fair film that is like basically held up to about equal esteem for some people, even more esteem than the original film for, for some people. Yeah. So like definitely not anything that I would begrudge anyone. It's literally just my own personal hang up preference for, uh, just really atmospheric, creepy, Horror philosophizing um, over 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 action, but even then, man, I'm not opposed to uh, a big old action movie either. Because I mean, like RoboCop, straight up one of the oh yeah in my opinion, just the best one of the best films of all time. Masterpiece. So. Well, the
0: thing I really want to call out about Alien, now that we're at the end, and I should have said it at the very beginning, is that it broke the ground. Like, yeah. think about the other horror movies that came before it. There was nothing like that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, it's it's extraordinary. It really yeah, what is.
1: what bo- what both of these films did for science fiction was basically launch it, it, what would be popular for the next like 15 <laughs> years at least. And yeah. even then, you still feel things like the basic structure of something like aliens can still be felt in almost anything. Shit. They they they, they try to do Vietnam war shit, but also other genre, all the goddamn time. They just tried to do it with King Kong like two years ago. It didn't really work, but like, yeah. <laughs> like that stuff is felt like all the time. So like definitely very influential films. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot
0: of that going on during this period. Like think of a science fiction movie before this, besides like 2001 and Star Wars that wasn't a huge piece of shit because like <laughs> everything that happened before that was like – uh uh the black hole forbidden planet forget it like it's all garbage yeah i just got canceled by my entire audience any nobody <laughs> from my podcast can listen to this episode
1: yeah i would i would i would never uh go as far as to say all science fiction pre-aliens <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> garbage <laughs> I just got enthusiastic.
0: I apologize. Get out of here, two (laughs) thousand one.
1: Garbage.
3: Okay, yeah.
2: Solaris.
1: (laughs) Yes, Garbage.
2: Out of here, Solaris. Yeah. So, so what I said before must have been wrong.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Pretentious.
1: (laughs) Damn it! (laughs) But anyway, I feel like that's a good place to wrap it up here on aliens. Uh, We are going to be right back, and we are going to be talking delicatessen. Right. Uh, We are back and we are talking Delicatessen, the 1991 French post-apocalyptic black comedy film directed by uh, Jean-Pierre Jeunet and Marc Caro. The uh, film is... Uh, For anyone who hasn't seen it, I guess it's, it's sort of like the surreal black comedy uh, dystopia film where uh, food has kind of become scarce and basically butchers and landlords have become sort of like the Kings of society because they provide people with meat and they also provide people with shelter, which have become more valuable than sort of anything else. And there is a loose story about one apartment complex who has sort of like all agreed that they put out a job posting for a maintenance guy. And every time the maintenance guy shows up, they let him do a little bit of maintenance work because, you know, every apartment complex needs some free maintenance work. Uh, (laughs) And then they uh, decide to butcher that maintenance worker. Eat his uh, ass. And eat his ass. Like in the bad (laughs) way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. In the bad way. Yeah. um so and 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 from there like that is basically the loose plot is that just that like this entire apartment complex sort of wrestle some of them wrestle a little bit with the morality of like sort of befriending uh their maintenance guy who they know is like their next meal um but also there is a sense of sort of like uh i guess you would call it a sort of Terry Gilliam almost sense of sort of like surreal comedy yeah, and rotary yeah. there's a lot of like um, odd
3: close-ups and uh even like really weird angled shots they do a lot of these like uh
1: dutch angles and stuff yeah, like that
3: yeah it's very it, it's very uh you feel uneasy you're not quite yeah. yeah sure well, i to mean feel. it, it
1: the overall film has this really like sickly, like jaundiced, like brownish yellow color to it, which is only relieved by in the last shot of the film where they make the sky actually blue rather than like a sick looking brown. Well, that was that was um, something
3: I was gonna mention. Um, when I was watching this, it was really interesting and cool because uh, as I was watching it, this the style specifically the the color that they use. I have. Uh, I've seen before and it was the uh, the guy also did the City of lost children and yes and I and I watched that uh, a few years ago actually and it was just very cool for me to actually uh, be able to tell that it was him just purely based on his aesthetic uh, so I just wanted to say that because that's a I mean that's a huge a uh, compliment, I think, for a director when you're able to recognize them purely based on the style. And I've, you know, I'm not very familiar with this
0: guy, so I mean, it's it's a big thing, I think. Well, the other film I'd like to call out that he did that the audience is most likely to have seen is Amelie.
3: Yes. Yes. Um,
0: yeah. So he's like this guy. He is one of my favorite directors and that's the, it's one of the things I call out at a party when I want people to argue with me because like that is sort of a bullshit take there are there are better directors but Uh, He is a very good director, and one of the things he is very good at is taking grim subject matter and making it more lighthearted and entertaining. So, like, if you think about the story of Amelie, like, it's fucking horrible. Like, she's trapped in this house. She's totally alone. Oh, but she's quirky. It's fine. And here we are (laughs) in an apocalypse. There is no food. People are fighting over peanuts and shit and drawing lots to see who gets cannibalized. And it's a fun film
1: yeah <laughs> yeah I mean I, I think that's a, a huge reason that this film in particular works and I saw this for the first time probably actually in in film school um but like there's definitely a real sense of personality to the filmmaker which is sort of like what jamie was saying that he could immediately tell and see that personality but that yeah. personality is also what like connects these characters to one another and that like one of the huge sort of like moral cruxes of the entire film and i think personally one of my actually favorite scenes in the film is when the uh the the main guy uh named lewison played by uh, dominique panone um who kind of just looks like a a goofier looking like french neil patrick harris or something um, he plays a former uh clown circus man who is now a maintenance worker um, for this apartment and he just ends up being like this really fun guy because obviously he was a circus performer and everyone has a really good time with him you know he, he starts like blowing smoke bubbles for the kids he, he plays uh music on a saw um, he has that and, one
3: funny scene when they uh, and it's very it, it works, obviously, with the, the butcher theme of this film, too, when she walks into the apartment and he just has his head on a on a table with the with the cleaver through it as kind of like yes! a gag. <laughs> it's <laughs> just. A shot.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I also love that they use that as his title credits of the film. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is an awesome moment. It reminded me of. uh uh, shit! What was that one where the title card of the film was the girl getting her head exploded? <laughs> Chop- because that was the most memorable <laughs> chopping ball. Yeah,
3: that yeah. <laughs> was that was the best credit end
1: credit sequence ever. That was unreal. Yeah, for, for 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 you guys, that that is a a movie where gets her head exploded by a laser cop. Uh, <laughs> it just like shoots a laser at her head, and her head prosthetic like literally just explodes like a Verhoeven movie, and they used that shot freeze frame on her head explosion as her title card. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) We laughed so hard.
3: Oh my God.
1: Yeah. But, but anyway, um, there's, there's a scene where the daughter of the butcher uh, named uh, named Julie, who starts striking up a kind of like romance with the, with, with the maintenance guy here. And there's, you know, she's kind of telling him like, you know, like you need to get out of here. Like you seem like a really nice guy. At one point he like tries to save her, her, Uh, her package from all the other tenants who are kind of fending for themselves. And I think he even has a great line too. He says, you know, like that is normal in a situation like this, you know, like deep down they're good people. It's, it's the sort of like uh, structure that they currently reside in that, you know, makes them desperate and makes them do worse things. Um, But she is literally at that point, like talking her neck to her next meal. Um, right. And there is like a perversity to that where like there is like a sweetness and there is a sense of romance happening, but there is that really grim darkness where you sit there and you look at it. She's realizing like, I'm pretty hungry and like this guy is how I'm supposed to alleviate that. But also I recognize his humanity and like that seems to be sort Unless of like- she
0: has him over for a snack.
1: I mean, how yeah. weird is that? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> So so that's just it you you feel like there's like this brutal system that is like reducing people to literal meat for consumption and that there is a personality that seeps through and a humanity that seeps through and that seems to be sort of like the moral quandary of the entire film um and I feel like he just he really gets at that both through sort of like the off-kilter very fun style um especially that just really hammers home you want to spend more time with some of these characters because they're so fun i mean i even love personally i couldn't get enough of the suicide lady who just keeps oh, up with more and more elaborate ways to kill herself <laughs> and it would keep and failing it turned, like <laughs> yeah it it, it it turns into like this weird like rube goldberg structure thing where she's like how many different elaborate ways can i kill myself and there's that one point where she's got uh, she's got the noose hanging. She's got the shotgun pointed at her. She's got the gas going with a malt of cocktail ready to blow off. She's like, there is four ways that I die in this situation. Five. She,
0: she took poison. And she took, yeah. 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 And
1: then she, and then she, yeah Cause she tries to swallow pills. Do right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there's so many different ways that she's going to kill herself and the movie structures it, uh, in a way where like you almost want her to succeed a little bit because she's pursuing her mission so well and she's living in, but, but again, it's so quirky and it's so fun at the same time. So like that I, I feel like is really like, like, what makes this movie like work for me and groove on an overall level is I just have so much fun, despite the fact that this is a really, really dark and gruesome story. Yeah. The moment in this, Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry.
3: I was just going to say, I think that she is that like perfect representation within a character of just how you feel about the movie in general, because there's so much darkness that's underlying everything, but there's, so much personality and there's and there's so much uh kind of goodness that's seeping through or at least trying to seep through uh that every time it cuts back to her you get this weird I don't know it kind of a feeling that you're battling inside where like you said you you want her obviously not to kill herself and you don't want her to want to kill herself but every time (laughs) that she fails there's this sense of like uh disappointment in her so you kind of feel like you're like empathetic in this weird way or sympathetic rather and it's just uh yeah it, it is a bizarre feeling that you're constantly battling with uh, when it comes to this film and especially with her scenes
0: yeah uh i the moment that i fell in love with this film is the uh the bedspring scene at the very beginning. <laughs>
1: yes, I have that in my notes, but go ahead.
0: Oh, well, it's just this wonderful slapstick scene where at the very like the the uh the owner of the building is also the butcher and one of his tenants is an attractive woman and it's very clear that she's she's paying her rent by having sex with him. Right. And yeah. So she, she's having sex on the bed with him and it's making this loud creaking noise. And there's a woman outside beating a rug and she finds herself unconsciously matching the pace uh, of the bedspring while beating the rug. And his daughter is upstairs playing, I believe it's a cello as a bass at any rate. Yeah. like uses that's it that as happening. a
3: percussion instrument. Yeah, it's so funny. Yes.
0: <laughs> the <Keith laughs> and then... Exactly, and then it's not uh, not Livingstone. Uh, what's what's his name? The the hero. Uh, he's he's got his suspenders attached to a banister. And he's leaning out back and forth to paint, and all of these things are happening in a rhythmic order. Oh, and the cows, like the the little cow boxes which yeah. I haven't seen one of those since I was like eight. But like it, having all of these things interact and get into the same rhythm, it was almost like a song. It was hilarious
1: and charming. Yeah, no, and and, and it definitely connects the whole building and it connects all these people as a community of people. Like, yeah, like I feel like that is a, such an amazingly simple and very uh, visually creative way to like get – into the rhythm of the apartment complex, like overall, again you get like the texture in the visuals of like the rusty springs and the crumbling paint and like dry leather, chipped wood, like all these different kind of very specific sort of like dilapidated elements, and then mixing with the people who like reside inside them and give them a sense of personality and you know these very specific different characters. Like I'm, I'm surprised in such a short runtime, and in you know a lot of these characters don't get very specific arcs that every single character like stands out to me i can think of the suicide lady i can think of the guy who lives in the basement with the frogs Uh, i can think of the underground uh vegetarian rebels which has its own (laughs) subplot which even just saying vegetarian (laughs) who live in the sewers is just like an insane thing to say this movie has so much going on in like the hour and 35 minutes that that it is and so to introduce it all through like these fragmented images and these Dutch angles and these insane sort of like textures and visuals, and then also in the rhythm of the editing and the way that he connects them all, like it's, it's, it's really, really well done. And it has like these extreme colors and these extreme angles. It's very um sort, similar to Gilliam, obviously very inspired by sort of like German expressionist where it's all communication through like lighting and shadow and sets and sort of like expressing you know, sort of like characters feelings in that way. And you do get a sense that like, you know, these people are living in a dilapidated crumbling society just through, you know, some of the architecture and, um, some, some of the visuals, um, in the film. And then when it gets into like a surrealist black comedy, like I, I just found this film like so goddamn fun. Um, and, and even little quirky details, like his knife, his boomerang knife called the australian <laughs> that he uses all around the which, ma- as as a maintenance tool <laughs>
3: which i also love that that ends up being kind of the the savior the the weapon that saves everybody cuz the bad the butcher ends up using it and fails miserably uh and then a, a, and then he also ends up adding like there's a lot of uh i guess not a lot of it but but even that that shot of the you know, the butcher having that, that knife in his, inside his head and everything. It's, it's an, it's an odd mix to have like this, all this wacky comedy. And then you'd have hints of, of extreme violence like that. It's, 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 uh, it's good. It's effective.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I found myself, I just, uh, I just watched it again last night to be fresh. And just those last few minutes of him was one of the funniest things. Like, I know it's horrifying, but I was rolling. He was yeah. like pointing at it in his skull and saying, "Is there something there?" <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> it's like
3: a yeah. It's like a Saturday morning cartoon, but but you know, far more violent for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I love just that climactic general where like uh, Julie and son are like both trying to obviously avoid uh the butcher and the entire apartment complex of of, of people who are obviously starving um and trying to help the butcher like uh kill the, the maintenance guy um but when they do that sequence and it's so beautiful When uh, they are hiding in like the top apartment area, they go into the bathroom and they very hilariously in a way that obviously makes no sense, but makes absolute sense in this very heightened universe. They they stuff all the cracks like underneath the door with like their clothes (laughs) and then they fill the room with water and you get this moment where like water is filling the bathroom from like um, the floor to the ceiling. And they start like kissing in the water and it's this very slow motion romantic moment. Then the butcher opens the door and the water comes flying out, knocks them all down the stairs, like kills a couple of them, messes them up. It does so much water damage to the building that the floor crumbles, except for the part that's holding the toilet. And you can just see, there's this amazing shot where Louisade is like hanging off the toilet. (laughs) uh, And the butcher is uh, below on the bottom floor where the floor just crumbled. And you get this low angle shot of the butcher's face. And in the background, you can see Lewis on up in the air, holding onto a toilet, his feet like moving, uh, like scrambling to like get back on top of it. Like he's in like a Looney Tunes situation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and like just images like that are so specific and so unique and so I would say, I guess, elaborate, but so well conceived and that they, they, they really work in this universe. And it's really an achievement that this universe like has an internal logic to it, that something like that isn't so absurd that you roll your eyes. It's actually very engaging and very fun and very character based still. Because I mean, like, when everything gets crazy and, like, all these different people are fighting each other, and, like, the goddamn uh, vegetarian uh, frog, froglidists, rebels are, like, <laughs> running through the walls and the vents. And at one point they're like brutally gunning them down. And then there's a subplot about like mischievous kids who get involved, who are messing everything up and they put glue into one guy's gun so that when he goes to fire his gun, it like explodes in his face. <laughs> and like, again, this is just, it's absolutely insane. And it's really funny and really fun. And I I do think that Pete is like absolutely right when he says that like, this is something that is somehow actually about an apocalyptic situation that actually addresses things like the social and sometimes political process of like actual cannibalism, like the bit I talked about at the top of the show where they uh, mention that like you know, they, they're they running out of maintenance guys. And I do like the joke at the very beginning before you know the, what exactly what they're doing when they say, oh man, <laughs> you're, you're, you're too skinny. You can't lift any of the stuff. We can't do the work that we need, but really he's too skinny because he doesn't have enough meat on his body that he's worth it. Um, but when they talk about the, uh, you know, if you're so hungry, then, you know, like, why don't you give up your grandma? Because uh, they were just like, all she does is sit around and watch TV or whatever. So, you know, maybe there should be a, political policy put in where at a certain age, you have to be given up for food.
3: (laughs) (laughs) The, uh, another thing I wanted to mention was, um, even just the beginning, the way that he sets it up with that intro scene before the credits, uh, is unreal because there's also, there's honestly not a lot of, um, comedy involved, which, which is, is, you know, throughout the film afterwards. So the initial setup for me was was a little bit more unsettling, honestly, because he's still doing all his his weird uh, close ups and and you know everybody's like uh, these off kiltered angles and everyone's sweaty and you know we have that close up of the guy hiding in the trash can and all you can see is his eyes uh, and things <laughs> yeah, like that. Show. Yeah, it's great. And um, and then the even the final shot before the credits start, uh, the opening credits is him finding the guy. You know, we give a, a big scream and then he just cleavers the guy. And yeah, they're, they're,
1: they're, there's like a POV shot from inside the. Can where they've taken the lens and done like the the circular blocking on it, so yeah. there's just a hole in the middle of the screen where you can see the butcher with the knife about to slam the knife down on his head.
3: Right, right, and it reminded me, it kind of gave me a, a Texas chainsaw vibes, just because of the the sweat, the sweat, the close ups, you know, kind of the sporadic nature of of the way that the scene goes. It's very um energetic, uh, and it's uh i just found it interesting that they they start with that really off-kiltered energy um and they they sustain it but they do throw in more um comedy throughout i i would be interested in seeing this guy do just a straight up horror movie in in that kind of a context just more of like a texas chainsaw thing i feel like this guy could really pull that off because that that intro is, is yeah some effective. of the imagery
1: for sure and especially yeah. the way he pulls from german expression some of the criminal underworld stuff. I mean, we talked about on the M and all that criminal underworld stuff reminded me of like the shots that he does in the sewers of all the people like running around in their little um, underworld. It's definitely the film style owes a lot to like the silent and expressionist era sensibility, but also combined with like, that surreal black comedy that people like Gilliam or people that, I mean, sometimes people like Lynch too. I think a lot, I think when it came out, people were comparing it to to Lynch at the time, even though I think it's a little bit, uh, I don't think that Lynch would go sort of like this
3: no. lighthearted and friendly. I get, I get Gilliam way elements. more than Lynch for sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, maybe pivoting towards the reductive rating round, uh, here and, and sort of closing statements here. Um, I would say that for me, I mean, this is my second time watching it, and uh, I I didn't remember how much that I actually liked this film. I mean, I've I've had it you know rated for a long time, um, but it was it was a total pleasure to uh, rewatch. So thanks for to Pete for for yeah. bringing it on because I don't know if uh, yeah. we would have got around to this as soon as we did if not. But uh, as far as like science fiction, dystopia, apocalypse stuff. That somehow, you know, doesn't lose the sharpness of how grim and, and gruesome that can be. Um, this is just a total joy to watch. Very fun, very filled to the brim um, with sort of um, visual specificity um, and, and personality, as we've said. Um, and yeah, this gets like a, a, a very solid four for me.
3: Nice. Uh, yeah, it's also going to be a, a four for me. I, this is the first time I saw this one, actually. Uh, I, I, Like I said earlier, I did see his movie, uh, The City of Lost Children. Um, you got to check out Amelie, bro. Yeah, I do. I do. I uh, know that's his big one. So, um, And The City of Lost Children is interesting just because it has a very similar aesthetic, uh, very similar. I, I, I could just tell that this is, you know, this guy's style. Um, and I even like this one a little bit more, I think. Uh, I think he found uh, the dark comedy. I think it works a little better in this one than it does in... Uh, the City of Lost Children. It's been a bit, but but yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm definitely going to check out this guy's uh, Alien Resurrection movie. Uh, maybe tonight. <laughs> yes. I, I, abso- I just have to do it. I got to see what this guy does. Um, but yeah, four out of five for Delicatessen.
0: Well, actually, one of the things that really makes Alien Resurrection for me now is watching it and seeing characters from this guy's other movies. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's one of the few really positive things about it because like Alien Resurrection, I know we're not talking about that one, but it's, it's this wonderful alchemy of like, why don't we get six ideas and three bad ones together and we'll <laughs> boil it and we'll end up with complete crap. You know what I mean? It was yeah. just fascinating. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> I'm, um, I'm with you guys in terms of this being a solid four. Uh, it's it's one of the movies I like recommending to people because it's it's both good and a lot of people haven't seen it um, I'd also like to point out like uh, it's it's easy to access right now I think it's like free on prime and at least one other platform so you nice. should be able to find it Netflix
1: yeah I don't know if it's on Netflix here here in Canada the only place we have it on is, uh, the Criterion channel but it, oh, okay. but for, for, for a lot of our listeners uh, Definitely are subscribed to the Criterion channel. So if you want to check it out, it's there's definitely a Criterion edition of this out there. So which is good because the transfer is beautiful. Like the imagery, my God, some lighting the 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 lighting setups as well as like the design work of the dilapidated apartment. Just beautiful to look at. I mean, even if you turned it off, you might not notice how funny it is. Like you turn the sound off. But it does work in imagery as like almost a silent movie. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, go ahead, Connor. Yeah, I'm also
2: going to go with a four. Um, And like Pete, I'm going to keep recommending this to people because I am embarrassed at how few French movies I've seen. And (laughs) now now I've seen one that I can recommend
1: in good faith. So that's that's a good one for my arsenal. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Absolutely. Um, Well, thanks to you guys so much for uh, joining us this week. This is the part where where you have you guys usually plug. And I feel like you guys got something you might want to plug. Oh, that's true. Uh,
0: Do you want to do it? Traditionally, Connor, you're our pre-recording of the plug, so it just seems right.
2: (laughs) Makes sense. Uh, First of all, I also want to add my thanks. Thank you guys for coming on our show, and thanks for doing this. This was a lot of fun, and I'm glad I got the chance to watch Delicatessen uh, as a result. And also, yeah, um, we do a podcast called Podside Picnic. Um, You can find it on iTunes, you can find it on SoundCloud, you can find it on Patreon, most importantly of all. it's often about science fiction, but it, we also talk about fantasy and we talk across different forms. We talk books, we talk movies, we talk TV, we talk video games. Um, and we're sort of expanding our author and creator interviews as well. Um, awesome. Yeah, I think I think it's a fun time and if you like this kind of podcast, you might like it. So check out Podside Picnic.
1: Sweet. Awesome. I can definitely recommend doing that. Uh, I listen to your guys' episode when I want to catch up. When I want for recommendations on books, I haven't I've watched a lot of sci-fi films, but I haven't read a lot of science fiction. So it's very cool to listen to people actually like talk to people who write it. Um, because obviously like a lot of the best science fiction movies even are based on books like uh, yeah. writers like Philip K. Dick and stuff like that, which uh, because we're going to be talking, I just bring that up because we're going to be talking about that next week. Because this is the part where we mention next week's stuff. Uh, next week for the bonus listeners, we're doing it. We're going to be talking Total Recall. Yeah. We're sticking in the science fiction realm. We haven't done it yet. Uh, We've done RoboCop. So we're going to finally hit Total Recall. Uh, Paul Verhoeven starring Arnold Schwarzenegger because this is basically just the Arnold Schwarzenegger podcast at a certain point. He's probably the actor we've talked about most on the show, which makes sense. He did some of the classic horror and action films, um, especially hybrids like something like Predator, which is just such an awesome idea. Um, uh, Similar to Aliens of putting sort of military dudes into a horror context, although I think Predator – uh, goes a little bit more full slasher movie in that way it definitely, one by it, one.
3: It definitely does make sense that those two uh, franchises ended up colliding together for sure <laughs>
1: yeah um so we're going to be talking about total recall no introduction beyond that you guys know that one but the reason we're going to be talking about it is um, a small genre filmmaker by the name of Stuart Gordon recently passed away. He did uh, From Beyond and Reanimator, the H.P. Lovecraft adaptations from the 80s. So good. Oh, um, he died? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry to break Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> live, live reaction on so, the show. Bro. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry to tell you that. <laughs>
3: <laughs> sorry to break the news, man.
1: Sorry. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so I i'll process offline sorry <laughs> <laughs> it's all good but yeah Stuart gordon recently passed away and one of our our personal favorite episodes we did really early on was on from beyond and reanimator which we talked about with barbara crampton the lead of those two films the actress on the show um so we felt like we owed Stuart gordon some 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 more episodes and oh, yeah. it turns out in in 92 he did a little sort of a total recall knockoff film called fortress <laughs> starring uh, Christopher Lambert,
3: Lambert baby. Um,
1: yeah, so uh, I I watched that recently, Raiden. and I was like, "This is this is perfect for the show." It's so cheap, it's so cheesy, but it has some absolutely brutal Stuart Gordon body horror in, in it, oh, yeah. including a little prisoner behavioral device called the intestinator which is just <laughs> something they make you swallow and if you start misbehaving they literally just blow your fucking intestines to the fucking walls oh yeah and uh, kurtwood
3: smith so shout and, out
1: and and kurtwood smith as a horny cyborg
3: yeah
1: absolutely uh, so it's definitely a little bit of a a cheap knockoff that was greenlit in the wake of the popularity of things like RoboCop and Total Recall which is why it makes perfect sense as a pairing with uh, total recall so that's what we're going to be doing for the bonus episode um patreon.com slash thezoids podcast if you want that episode that'll be coming out next week but the week after that we're going to be back with a special guest and we're going to be doing uh murder mystery stuff from 1979 i haven't seen either of these cool. films so i can not give you a, a big breakdown but we're going to be talking a little film called time after time oh and awesome I've never never seen it but pete likes it so that's a good yes. sign yeah. <laughs> uh, I have be, enthusiasm. So I apologize. <laughs> no, it's all good. Uh cuz I I can't give it cuz I haven't seen watching it next week and we're going to be talking uh pairing it with a little film called Murder by Decree, which seems like it's some sort of Sherlock Holmes film of some kind. Cool. So, either way, we're going to be talking murder mystery, I think uh for the first time We haven't on, done too
3: much of that. Or I guess anyone no. just said
1: first time. <laughs> yeah, no, I I think I think it's first time. I mean, but it's a it's a genre I when uh, i mean if it ever comes out now we, no movies are coming out anymore until further notice so i have no idea but when that new kenneth brana uh, murder on the nile river or whatever the agatha christie i had an agatha christie episode planned to coincide with that whenever that comes out okay. so we'll definitely hit that at some point but yeah that being said we're gonna wrap it up here thanks so much guys for listening that's what you guys can expect for the next two weeks uh and keep it sleazy
3: keep it sleazy